You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is Sammy. And this is Michelle. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to, to the Earn and Invest podcast. I don't have many friends. Well, that's not exactly right. I used to not have many friends. Well, that's not exactly correct either. Let me explain. In college, in hot pursuit of becoming a doctor, I formed strong, enduring friendships with many who are on the same path as me. When I arrived, however, I started to realize that maybe being a doctor wasn't for me. Because of that, whether I meant to or not, I made very few doctor or even adult friendships. I was laboring under what felt like a false identity, which created a gulf between myself and the people I was spending most of my time with. By my early 40s, I was mostly friendless. It was only when I left medicine and discovered personal finance and my new identity as a writer and creator that I began to bond with people again. A number of years later, I have much deeper friendships and even a community that I've built around myself. But many, like I was, are feeling the bite of loneliness in what has of late been called a friend recession. How do we find friends as adults? And more importantly, how do we build a nurturing community around ourselves? Sammy and Michelle are the dynamic sister duo behind the podcast and platform Build a Wealthy Spirit in which they examine life, intentionality, and explore what a good life really looks like. In a recent podcast episode, they talk all things community building. Sammy and Michelle, welcome to Earn and Invest. Michelle, they say money can't buy love, but can it buy community and friends? Ooh, a good question. And it's interesting because I'm sure it could, but you don't really need money to buy community and friends. Assuming you don't need all of your friends to be ballers with Lamborghinis and things like that. But there are so many options for building community that are free. There are free websites where you can meet people. You can go play tennis or go to a sport outdoors or go running. So I would say that money probably could buy you friends, but... I wouldn't let that stop you. I think you can make friends for free. Sammy, we're going to talk in a little bit about how to build community, this idea of how we create friendships as an adult. But let's stick to the immediate premise first. Is there a loneliness epidemic today? So according to Vivek, Dr. Vivek Murthy, the Surgeon General, even before COVID, he did say there was a loneliness epidemic based on survey data and his experience meeting people, you know, out in different parts of the United States, he was finding that about half the people were actually reporting subjectively that they were feeling lonely. But with that said, I think when I reflect on my own life, I definitely feel like there is a loneliness epidemic. I think part of it is us getting so fixated on our work and other priorities and having things like technology, you know, we can binge Netflix, we can look at our phones, those kind of things actually give us kind of this gratification that makes it less, less of a necessity to go and actually get out there and meet people and make friends, and then continue to build those friendships. Michelle, you and Sammy had an episode about this, and it's very timely in your lives, right? So you both picked up and moved to a new city. And not only that, but you've left your jobs or are forming new identities based on different jobs or even solopreneurship. 
Are you finding this in your own life? Like when you picked up and you moved, is it hard to all of a sudden meet new people? It's interesting because we were living in such a small town before, and we sort of knew that we were planning to leave. And because of that, we didn't dedicate as much time to building community there. And so when we were leaving, we were reflecting on our time there, and we realized how much we missed having close friends nearby. We realized how much we missed being able to just throw together a dinner with your friends. And so for us, when we moved, we knew it was something we wanted to prioritize. And when you don't have a traditional job that you're going to, you're taking out a huge place where you can go and meet like-minded people or people who just more exposure to people, people you'd be seeing 40 hours a week. So we wanted to be really intentional when we moved because we knew that it would be difficult to meet new people if we just stayed in our apartment all day and wasn't really friendly. Because we also saw when we were in our small town that it's very easy to isolate yourself. Sammy, talk about how your parents modeled community for you as kids. Because I get the feeling you guys grew up in a pretty vibrant community yourselves. You are exactly right, Jordan. We, Michelle and I, you know, we're both Indian. And I think Indian people naturally are very focused on community. On top of that, we come from a huge family. Our immediate family is just me and Michelle and our parents, but our mom is one of 14 and our dad is one of seven. So we have a lot of family, but even outside of that, we would always be going to our Indian church. They would have events like dances. We would prepare with our friends to create a dance for that event. We would go to Holy Communions or graduations. Like we always had events through the community. And even if we didn't know somebody really well, a lot of times those events would be hosted through our Indian church. So we would be going to those activities. So I really felt like both the fact that we had a large family and that we were part of this Indian community, both of that resulted in having a huge sense of community. I'll add to what Sammy is saying too. Because our parents had immigrated to the U.S. and because they had immigrated to Michigan, we were lucky because there was a big Indian population, a big Malayali population. We had this Indian church that Sammy was talking about. But I think also then you didn't have the technology that you have now. And people would have felt very isolated without these groups of people. They're looking out for each other. I remember our mom, as soon as she would learn something about our school or how the programs worked. She'd go and tell her friends so that she could help them when they were raising their kids because it was a completely new culture. So not only was the community just part of who we are because we do come from big families and Indian culture is very community oriented, but also I think add in the fact that these people really needed to help each other. And I think that really instilled in us like how important it is to look out for the people in your community. Michelle, it's an interesting point, because when we think about the communities of our parents, at least what you're describing is community based really on identity and purpose and being immigrants and all these things that bound you together. But as we were talking about a minute ago, a lot of our communities today are based on our jobs, like not who we are, but what we do. A lot of people in our community here at Earn and Invest are talking about separating from the workplace, right? They're talking about financial independence, maybe getting away from a nine to five. Do you think we've got it wrong building communities around work? Is that a change that maybe isn't for the good? Because I feel like the communities of our parents maybe felt stronger. I feel pretty strongly that it is, I don't want to say the wrong place to invest your time in community. But I think especially like my background is in tech and you're seeing a lot of layoffs, like over 200K layoffs in the past year. And so if you're building your community around your work, your work doesn't love you back. They will let you go if needed. You might go to different places. And sure, you might have lifelong friends. I have friends that I've met at my jobs that I've stayed in touch with. But there were people that I saw every day for five years that I don't really talk to anymore. It's just a different a different type of relationship when your relationship is so centered around your work. And I felt that too when I left sales and decided to pivot my career. After a while, I didn't really want to talk about the work drama 
or what was going on in the sales world. I wanted to explore other things. And sometimes that can make it hard to connect when you lose that common bond. I agree with what Michelle just said. I, having just left my job, I really appreciate how work, those relationships are not always the same as friendships. Definitely, there's been friends that I've made through work who I still talk to and I'm still close with. But one thing that I've really found having, you know, working as a physician assistant is that at work, I give a lot of my social energy. I'm seeing multiple patients a day and I give them a lot of that energy that as someone who identifies as somewhat of an introvert, once I leave the workplace, I actually have less bandwidth to make friends. So I find that One, the relationships that you have at work can sometimes be somewhat transactional because you are offering a service or something in exchange for something else. That's not the same as friendship. And then sometimes it can even hinder you from making friends outside of work because then you lack that social bandwidth sometimes to really form bonds with other people as well. Michelle, I was interested in this episode that you guys did on building community. You know, we started with the term epidemic. We put it in kind of medical terms, right? Like there's an epidemic of loneliness. But then you guys also use terminology that comes very much from business and the stock market and talk about this idea of a friend recession. Why did you use that term? I I think it's a wonderful term. I think it definitely describes what's going on. And being the Earn and Invest podcast, we love to think about things in economic terms. Why a friend recession of all things? A friend recession, I will say we didn't coin it. It's been sort of trending in parallel with this loneliness epidemic. But I do love it as a term because maybe because we also talk a lot about things like personal finance and economics. But I think it really hits home on the fact that we're we're lacking something. We're lacking something really important, something that we need, something that helps with our livelihood. Yes, it's not say money that helps you pay your, you know, for your food and your housing, but I think community is high up there when it comes to something that's important to our livelihood. And so we like the term friendship recession because it really encapsulates that need, that importance of friendship in our lives. Sammy Are the terms friendship and community synonymous? I mean, we kind of are using them a little bit interchangeably here. Are they the same things? I'm so glad you asked that question because I found that they are not exactly the same. One thing about both me and Michelle is we've lived in a lot of different places. We're from Michigan. I then moved to the South, then to San Francisco, middle of nowhere. Now we're back in the South. In all these different places, I've made a lot of friends. And I will sometimes text these friends or get on a call with these friends. But I remember many times I was thinking, you know, if I want to have a Halloween party or a birthday party, how many people do I really know in this area who I could invite? Local people who maybe on the weekends you can have them get together for a dinner or have them get together to watch a game. That sense of community where not only are they your friends, but they also have relationships with each other. And you almost become this sounding board for when you're feeling down or new ideas or just humor, things that make you laugh. The community, multiple people with similar interests who have relationships with each other, that to me is completely, it's related to friendships, but it's not the same as a friendship. Michelle, we're going to probably spend the rest of the time mostly talking about communities, but I want to focus on friendships just for another moment. Why is it so hard to make friends as adults? Like, I feel like when we were kids, you just show up and ultimately (laughs) you made friends. Why is it so different when we get older? It's true. When you were a kid, you could just show up and there could be 40, 50, hundreds of people who are your age, who live in your community and you just get along. You can you know, chase a ball down the street together or play games or get dinner at your friend's house. And you didn't have to work that much for it. And I think from our experience, moving to city to city, what you find is that you lose that you lose those baselines that you created and you have to start over again. But 
there's no place that you're really forced to go outside of your work where you can go and meet people really easily. You have to put yourself out there. You have to have the energy to want to do it. But at the same time, it's difficult because if I think about places with large groups of people that I might want to be friends with, that's like the grocery store. But I'm not going to go to the grocery store and just say hi to everybody that's buying bok choy. (laughs) So I think the hard thing is you have to put yourself out there. And on top of that, you start to have competing priorities. People start to have families that they want to take care of, both their kids and maybe growing parents. And we do put a lot of time and energy into our work, especially in American culture. So we're prioritizing giving our job our extra evenings or giving our job some time on our weekends. And you're not going to have the bandwidth after that to necessarily go and meet new people. Sammy, you guys in your episode go through a step-by-step process of how you can start to build community. But I feel like before we get there, there's a question rolling around in my brain, and I don't know if I have the right answer for this, but the question really is, should we have to try to make communities or should they form around us based on who we are? And I guess another way of saying that is, should we make communities with people randomly or should it be based on something that's important to us? Should it be a passion? When Michelle and I made that step-by-step process on how to build a community, that was our intention because we know some people out there already have a community, but maybe they don't find that that community resonates with them. So it's both about creating a community and also creating a community of people that resonate with you. I think if you don't put in the effort, leave it to chance and see who appears around you, you might find that you're surrounded by you're surrounded with people who you don't feel comfortable with or people who maybe don't understand you on a deeper level. It's true, Sammy. And one thing I realized for myself is that as I've gone through different seasons of my life and understood my values more, it's more important to me to find people who align with that. Maybe we might be different in different ways, but I do want to make sure that the ways I'm spending my time align with what's important to me. When I think about when I was in my 20s, I was still actively trying to make friends. We were in San Francisco, but a lot of that was centered around let's go out and drink, let's go eat out all the time. We were doing fun stuff, but a lot of our friendship was around this idea of going out. And especially I quit drinking a few years ago and really my life doesn't center around those things the same way. Like I like reading and discussing books and listening to audiobooks and spending time with my own family and my friend's family. I find it really helpful to have people who have those similar values just because you're going to be spending time with them. And anything you're putting your time, energy, even money into, I think should be considered and should be ideally aligned with some of your values. See, I mean, I think what we're kind of coming to is that you can join a community, but in a sense, even if you're joining a community, in many ways, you actually have to create it, right? This is not a passive process. This is an active one. So in your episode, you guys talk about, I think it's a five-step process of how you build a community. Step one is create a vision. And so you're going to laugh, but... What came to mind when I read this is, if you build it, they will come. Uh, Do I have the right idea here, Sammy? Yes, to some degree. In the creative vision step, you are really thinking about what you want your friendship to look like. And I like picking out like a sliver of time where you imagine you and your friends together. So you can really imagine what are you doing? For me, it was like me and my friends, we were playing beach volleyball. They had their kids there too. We all had our partners there too. So those little details also tell you something about what you want your friend group to look like. You want to not just be friends with your friends, but also with their partners, their families, and you want the families to get along together too. You want to be active, playing something like beach volleyball. Um, You want to be outside. All these details kind of give you clues as to what you're going to be looking for when you go out there and meet people. So I really think creating that vision is that first step that helps guide you in that process of finding your friends. It's funny. Sammy and I have a really great example of this, too, because recently when we moved, she's been talking about how she wants to play pickleball. 
And I was like, I don't understand why you're so obsessed with wanting to play pickleball. We have never played it. We don't have the right tools. We have tennis rackets. Why don't we just go and play tennis? We haven't even touched those since we bought them. And she kept on saying, I want to play pickleball. I want to play pickleball. She would suggest it to random people. And then we had a friend come into town and he was like, hey, do you guys want to play pickleball? I brought my set. I found a couple good courts. And I was just like, yes, I know this is in Sammy's vision. So we would love to come and play pickleball. But it was just so funny because it was that moment of synchronicity where you're like, wow, does feel like we sort of manifested this. Sammy, I, I think it's important to stay here because when you're describing your vision, what you're really describing is your values, right? Your vision has to reflect your values. At least that's what I'm kind of hearing you say as you're talking about the setting and the kind of people and your interests. Yeah, you're exactly right. It's, you know, maybe 10 years ago, I would have been envisioning me and my girlfriends getting ready to go out for a night on the town. Today, it's not that. And so I think that's the other really important thing about the vision, even imagining what you and your friends might be talking about. Maybe they're pursuing their entrepreneurship goals. Maybe they're really intellectual and they're talking about things that are really nuanced topics that they're really into. Imagining all those little things gives us clues as to what we want our friends to look like, but also you're right, exactly, what your true values are too. Michelle, that makes me think this idea that your vision changes over time based on who you are and what you're doing. So your communities are going to change also. And is that okay? I think it's not only okay. I think it's important to constantly reevaluate that. I don't think you should shuck everybody to the side that you've known for decades necessarily. But I think we do find ourselves in different seasons of our lives where we do want to find new people and we want to add in more people who align with our values. One thing I love about like the financial independence community is that people who start to really get intentional about their personal finances, they want to say save more, they want to only really spend on the things that make a lot of sense to them. Sometimes that can feel isolating when everyone around you is keeping up with the Jonases. And so instead, it's nice to find people who have similar values. You don't have to get rid of your other friends, but it's nice to be like, hey, like we found these cool deals or the 4% rule, or you can kind of nerd out on those things together. And it helps you not only meet your goals, but it also helps you find people that you can really like learn from and also cultivate relationships that are, again, aligned with your values. We are talking to Sammy Michelle. They are the dynamic sister duo behind the podcast and platform Build a Wealthy Spirit. And we are discussing the friend recession and building community. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. All right. So most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor, and it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? 
you can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer-focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. We are back with Sammy and Michelle. They are the dynamic sister duo behind the podcast and platform Build a Wealthy Spirit in which they examine life intentionality and explore what a good life really looks like. In a recent podcast episode, they talk all things community building, and we've been discussing the five steps to building a community. Step one was create a vision. Michelle, step two is get out there, and you say you need to increase your friendship luck surface area. What exactly does that mean? Friendship luck surface area is this idea we were talking about where, look, yes, maybe You'll be walking around your neighborhood and you'll run into somebody and you guys will be best friends for life. That would be amazing. But I don't think we're in a friendship recession or a loneliness epidemic because people are running into friends all the time. And so what we say is that especially when you're starting to build community, you should really lean in and try to put yourselves in situations where you can meet people. Put yourselves in situations where people are open to meeting people. So that could be going to a gym class. We really like to do like yoga and cycling. So we've been leaning into doing more of those classes. And when we're in there, we say hi to people. We try to make sure we're like getting familiar with who the usuals are because we think it's really important all those people aren't necessarily going to be our best friends. But if you talk to 100 people, you're more likely to find the core five. Versus if you talk to two people, they're hopefully they like you and hopefully you like them. So we think it's really important to, once you have your vision, start to figure out places where you can put yourself and be really intentional about getting out there and increasing your friendship luck service area. One thing that is great about technology is that, yes, it can keep you inside watching Netflix or on your phone, but there are also so many ways to use technology to help you make friends. For example, we use the app meetup.com. We're actually attending a writing meetup every Saturday now, and we've met multiple people through that meetup. There are book clubs on Meetup as well. And then there's other applications too. Like there's one called Bumble BFF. Bumble, which was originally the dating app, now also has a friend app. It can be completely separate from the dating app. And you can use that to meet individuals too. So if it's hard to just meet people or find groups to go to, there's also those options for you to find people as well. And the whole point of the friendship luck surface area is that that also takes some pressure off. You're not just going to one meeting a month and hoping that you're going to meet all your people there because that's not going to happen. It takes frequent meetings, oftentimes going to the same meeting over and over again to slowly warm up to people and feel comfortable doing things like exchanging your numbers and meeting again. Michelle, you use the term luck, but clearly what we're describing, especially for adults and not kids, is that you just don't fall into communities at our age, right? Like there is work involved and clearly though we're using the term luck, what we're really saying is being prepared so that when you are thrust in those positions, you can connect with the people and form communities with them. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is fortune favors the bold. And I think that's exactly what we're talking about here, which is, hey, you maybe you'll get lucky and make a friend, but how about you improve your chances? How about you 
put yourself in situations where you're more likely to find somebody, find 10 people, find 15 people. And even if you just talk to a few of them, you're more likely to find some luck in those situations. Sammy, we're going to skip to step three because you talked about technology. And step three is to harness the power of modern tools. You say create a friend database. Now, this sounded a little nerdy to me. I have to tell you. <laughs> tell me tell me what your friend database looks like. So our friend database, it's on Notion, but you can use Excel or whatever spreadsheet software you prefer. And we actually keep track of every single person we meet. We started this once we moved here. So we've been keeping track of every single person that we meet, the day we met them, how we met them, and then whatever notes we have about them. Maybe they're from Vermont and they moved down here six months ago. We'll make notes of that. And Michelle actually had done this in the past before, and I remember stumbling across her updating her spreadsheet, <laughs> and I thought it was probably one of the most creepy things that a person could do. <laughs> but I will say now that I'm creating, now that we have a spreadsheet together and we're creating it, it's funny, but every time you put down a person's name and you start to write something about them, you actually feel like they're this person out there that you're trying to build that bond with. And next time you go to that event, that maybe that same event where you might see those people again, you can read up on their data that you have in your profile so that when you see them, you're not asking them the same questions again. And also when they see that you remember information about them and what's going on, maybe they went on a trip, maybe they were having some family difficulties and you ask them about it, they really think that you've put time into them and you care about them. And it's because you you do. Friendship is not an accident. And I think we create databases and spreadsheets for so many different aspects of our life. We want our net worth to be a certain level. We'll create a spreadsheet for that. It's the same with community. We want a community that's going to look a certain way, be filled with people that we really resonate with. And for that reason, we have to put just as much effort into that as well. Michelle, I have this vision of you guys sitting at a party with your little note cards, flipping them through them to make sure you know who you're talking to next. It's not that deliberate. You know, we just have our phone now and we're like, hello, <laughs> Megan from New York. How is your time in Charleston been since you moved here six months ago? <laughs> no, actually, what we find is that the act of even coming back home and writing a couple of notes, that just also naturally makes you remember more. It's like when you're in school and you're studying, you don't just read the text the first time and then hope you get everything. You have to go and recall. And a lot of times you're going to recall things that you found interesting about them. And the thing is, too, is once you once you start meeting quite a few people, you might start to get a little bit confused. You might have had a great conversation with somebody, but you can completely forget that five people later. So I think it is important just to have those details. And usually we find that when we're in a place and we see them again, we don't even need to you know, pull out our Notion document secretly because just the act of writing it and putting it down on paper helps us remember. Michelle, step four is hang out again. Talk about the importance of repetition. This is important to me because I consider myself a slow burn. I don't think I go to a party and wow everybody, but I do think that over time, people really like me. So my goal is always just to get as much exposure to people as possible. And I'm like, once they see me like three or four times, they'll know I'm pretty funny. They'll get that I'm pretty nice. At least this is how I rationalized it to myself. But I think this is true probably for everybody to some extent, unless you're a really charismatic, extroverted person. It's hard to make a strong impression the first time. And a lot of times you're talking about the basics. Where are you from? How long have you been here? Do you have kids? Things like that. And the more times you see people, one, you just become like more familiar with them. You know, you see someone's face three or four times, you start to think you are friends and you can start to build on your relationship. You're not just constantly starting new with everybody. So that's why I think repetition is really important. So Sammy, step one is create a vision. Step two is get out there. Step three is harness the power of modern tools. Step four is hang out again. And last but not least, Step five is about consistency. You say just show up, which is interesting because I think up to this point, 
this has seemed like a very active process. Just show up almost feels a little passive. And yet I feel like people forget how important it is to consistently be there. What have you guys found in building communities, the importance of showing up? Yes, showing up may sound passive, but I think it's one of the most active parts of the friendship. A lot of times we're busy. We finally made the effort to make a friend. We've seen them a few times. And then they ask us to do something. They ask us to go to a concert with them. And maybe, you know, it's Thursday and you're feeling tired and you don't want to do it. The truth is, of course, you know, you can prioritize your needs and that's okay. But at the same time, the friendship relies on that deeper connection. Sometimes going to things that you don't 100% want to go to or calling them on the phone and having a conversation when you feel like you should be doing other things. Sometimes friendships actually require that. Friendships require more hours than sometimes we're willing to give initially, just because that's how it that's how we form that deeper connection. So showing up can be a really active thing, even though it sounds fairly passive. And I think a lot of times we go to that concert and we think we don't want to go, but later we actually remember it fondly. So a lot of times these memories that we have with other people, even though there's like a little bit of inertia to make us go and do it, later we actually remember those things positively. So, Michelle, we've been talking about the five steps to community building. How's it been working for you guys? I mean, you are now in a new community. Have you had some success? Oh, yeah. It's funny because you can have the confidence that this will work. But when you're going to your first event and you feel really shy and you don't really want to talk to people and then you're going back a second time and you're like, ah, was I awkward? Did I say something weird? Sammy and I are lucky we have each other. We can kind of calm each other down. But it's not necessarily all going to go well at the beginning. So I think that when we were starting this, I was like, you know, we've moved a few times. I have enough confidence that we can make friends, but life happens. You don't know. But we've been so, so lucky, honestly. Like, I think we're lucky that we're in a community. We've been doing things like meetup and there's like an active meetup scene here. And we've been really intentional about going to things that we enjoy. So like the writing group, we're meeting all these really interesting people who want to write for different reasons. And we have a little silent writing time together. So we actually get to invest in our hobby as well. But then we find out, for example, one of our new friends that we made the second time we saw her, she mentioned that she left occupational therapy to be move into marketing and she was doing a career pivot very similar to Sammy's path and even similar to mine so it was just so cool to be able to have that connection we switched numbers we're going to go grab boba tea with her next week so it's been really cool we've been seeing a lot of the same people over again and we're at a point now where we feel like we can actually start to invite people to do things we'll go hang out with them and hopefully our goal is to merge them together so that we have like a little community here Sammy, a while back, you brought up the I word. What if you're an introvert? I mean, this all sounds great. And everything you're talking about takes a certain amount of energy. What if you're not the kind who loves public situations or lots of people? Yes, I can relate because I consider myself kind of an in-between, somewhat extrovert, somewhat introvert. And especially after a long day of work, the last thing I want to do is go out there and meet people. And I think it's two part. One, you know, if you're an introvert, the good news is you may not require as many social connections to feel that fulfillment. So even though you're getting out there and you're meeting people, you might not require as many events because once you have your few close people, then you feel content, you feel good. You just have to maintain those bonds, which get easier to maintain over time. There's less of that extroverted energy that needs to come in to meet with those people. So that's one aspect of it. The second aspect of it that I found that I think is something that we kind of have to be frank about is when I was working and I was busy and I was seeing tons of people a day. And so because of that, I was socially drained. I truthfully did not have a lot of bandwidth for friends. And I do think we actually have to adjust our lifestyle sometimes to make room for friends. 
even as extreme as working less hours or taking breaks from work, just so that we can also focus on forming those relationships because we can't put them on the back burner. Once we leave our jobs, the job's not there, but the friends are going to be there. So it is important to actively make time for your friends, even if that requires going into a job that's maybe less social or cutting back on hours at work so that you have that time and bandwidth to dedicate towards relationships because it's an important part of our lives. Michelle, let's bounce off that idea that this is an important part of our lives. Your brand and podcast is Build a Wealthy Spirit. You guys do talk about finances quite a bit, uh, but you marry that with lifestyle issues as well as things like building community. Why do these conversations come together? The whole wealth conversation when it comes to finances and wealth when it comes to things like friendships and community? It's important to us because something we realized both growing up, being new to personal finance, like it wasn't something we had a strong background in growing up, just because our parents were here trying to make it, trying to raise us, was that you do need a foundation to meet your basic needs, right? Like you need to not only just have enough money to be able to feed yourself and have housing, like you want to make sure you're hitting those bottom lines, because otherwise you might just not be able to think about other things. So I think about like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like we do want to make sure we talk about personal finance and different ways that you can create a strong foundation for yourself. What happens is, at least to us, was that we saw that once we were able to build that foundation, we didn't really know what to do with the money. So we were just sort of spending it or not really being intentional, not really growing it, and not really even thinking if we liked the stuff that we did. Like there's so much marketing out there. You're like, oh, I need to go to the ice cream museum. Everybody's going to the ice cream museum. We don't even eat that much ice cream. So it just it just felt like out of alignment. And so I think that's why we like to build in this idea of not only just like building your wealth, but also building the things that are important to you. And for, I'm guessing most people, having meaningful relationships is important. It doesn't matter if that's having two meaningful relationships or a hundred best friends, but it is something that we think it's important to be intentional about. And I think that, and I think these conversations around the friendship recession and the loneliness epidemic show how we can over index, especially again in the United States, we can over index on things like work and make that a major priority, but then let the things that really fill our cup go to the side. Sammy, up to this point, you guys have been talking about your efforts in this new community, and we've been very much talking about in-person communities and relationships. But as podcast hosts, you guys actually have a virtual community. How much of all of this that we're talking about applies to the virtual world? Because I realize that nowadays, a lot of my best friends, I speak to them on Zoom, right? Or I don't see them in person nearly as much as maybe I would have 10 or 20 years ago. Is it the same story, whether we're talking about virtual or in person? It's similar. I do think in the virtual world, sometimes we require even more of those hours of connection before we find that we have a bond with somebody. Because when you see somebody in person, there's just a different sense that you have for them than when you talk to them virtually. So sometimes virtually, we might need to put more hours in to get to that same place with the relationship. And one thing that me and Michelle love doing is meeting our virtual friends in real life when we get a chance. Obviously, that might not be able to happen all the time, but it's worth having a trip even once a year to see that person and really like forge that bond and, you know, really emphasize that there's something there. It was interesting too, because Sammy and I were living in a small town and she was going to work, but I was doing more remote stuff. I didn't have an in-person community. And so I did join a writing class and I did join different online communities where people were interested in things like entrepreneurship or creative work. And I found that to be really, really fulfilling, especially since even in my IRL friendships, not a lot of people are doing those things. They come from my sales background or they come from going to college together, growing up together. So that was really, really, really cool for me to just be able to hop on a Zoom call with a Twitter friend who also has a podcast and they can give us advice. They can empathize with the issues that we're going through in a way that maybe people in your IRL lives can't. I do think it is really cool that now that we can connect with people online, 
especially when it comes to very specific interest. So I definitely don't want to discount the online community, but I agree with Sammy. When you're able to meet somebody, like I've met some of my online friends in person, and you just feel a different connection instantly. Like you're like, I know this person. I know how tall they are. Like that's just important information for your friendships. (laughs) No, but seriously, that like ability to be able to talk, to be able to talk in a group, like that's really difficult to do on a Zoom call. So just those little things, I think even if you're able to meet once, it can change the dynamic of your friendship in a really positive way. Well, Sammy and Michelle, I wanted to thank you both for coming on the show today. I asked at the beginning of the show, can money buy friendships? And noted that money can't really buy you love. And the truth is, I don't think money can buy you happiness either. Truly feeling wealthy often deals with non-monetary aspects of your life. And a big part of that is friendships and community. If we truly want to live the lives we want to live, we not only have to work on our net worth and our investments, but also invest in ourselves and the people around us. And that is all about community building. I want to end this episode the way we end every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and where people can find you. Sammy, tell us what is going on with your platform and podcast, Build a Wealthy Spirit. You can find us at buildawealthyspirit.com. It's our website, but it's also a Substack, so you can leave comments on the episode so that we can continue to build that community together. And you can also get a newsletter from us each week where we have things like the step-by-step guide to friendship so that you can have that for yourself as well. And if listeners are interested, we do have a blank version of the Notion document where you can list your friends out and the contact information and everything. So we'll send you that link too. So if you want to link in the show notes, they can do that as well. For me, what's up next? I just started my sabbatical. So I am enjoying time making friends and I'm putting a lot of time into that. I really appreciate now that I don't know if I could have done that all when I was working. It does take a lot of effort and I'm really grateful that I'm putting that time in because I can really feel that our community is growing here and it is making a difference. Michelle, you started yourself taking a sabbatical at the beginning of your journey away from sales. That sabbatical has continued. What do you see coming up next for you? Yeah, it's funny. I joke that now everyone around me ends up going on a sabbatical. And because of that, I do write about it quite a bit. And we do talk about it a lot on our podcast as well, just how you can prepare for that. And also, even if you are able to take a sabbatical, what happens next, how to think about it. Because I think it can be more stressful than people realize because you're really making an identity shift in your lives. So that's something that we write about. You can find that on our podcast, Build a Wealthy Spirit. And for me, it's funny because I do always like to say I'm on a never-ending sabbatical, but I do a lot of community building in my work. So I think because I am such an active and aggressive community builder, I end up getting really involved in the communities that I am. So I'm really actually lucky. A lot of my work is around that now. So I get to help facilitate online meetings, help people meet other people online, and just encourage like conversations and things like that. So it's been a really cool journey. I had a really positive experience in sales. I had a really positive experience with my sabbatical. And now I'm getting to explore this more creative side of myself, which ironically also has involved meeting a lot of really, really cool people. Sammy Michelle from Build a Wealthy Spirit. Thank you so much for being on Earn and Invest today. Thank you so much, Jordan. That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. Let me start by saying unequivocally, Joe Salcihai is wrong. So for those of you who don't know, Joe Salcihai is part owner of the Earn and Invest podcast. He is my collaborative partner, a guy who I frankly love. He's a, a wonderful guy. And him and I love to argue all things personal finance as well as everything else. And he's also the creator and co-host of the Stacking Benjamins podcast, and he had me on the other day, and we were talking about purpose, and we were reading an article in which 
a person was discussing their sense of purpose as learning a new language every two years. And Joe kind of said off the cuff, well, that's not enough. That having such a sense of purpose is not enough and that there needed to be more. We fleshed out this conversation, and what I believe Joe was saying is that we also need community and connection. So it's actually community which makes people happy and live a fulfilled life, and that just having a sense of purpose, learning a new language every two years and traveling and exploring that isn't enough. And I highly, highly disagree. So Joe mentions the data, and he says the data supports building connections as a way to make you happy. And I agree and I don't agree. Let's talk a moment about that data. I just wrote a book about purpose, 60,000 words. I spent the last six months researching it and the last three months writing it. So I've been thinking a lot about the data surrounding purpose. And in general, I want to talk about two main studies. One is there's the Harvard, I think it's the Harvard Men's Study. Excuse me if I get this wrong. It's a long-term study, which has been basically interviewing people over decades and gathering information. And another is the health and retirement study. That's from the University of Michigan. There's been a huge amount of data about purpose. Now, we're not talking about any specific kind of purpose. They call it purpose in life, but it doesn't have to have an impact. It doesn't have to be something other people see as purpose, just your own idea of purpose. And based on the health and retirement study, there have been a number of researchers who've gone out and looked at the data and they can show very clearly, and I don't want to go into all the numbers, but very clearly having a sense of purpose increases your life expectancy, makes you healthier and makes you more happy, period. It doesn't matter what that purpose otherwise does for you. It doesn't matter what exactly that purpose is. We know that the sense of purpose in life actually leads to better outcomes. Now, Joe here is right. If you look at the Harvard study, you will realize that basically over years they found that what was associated with happiness wasn't money, wasn't spending. Pretty much the only association they truly found was connections and community, being attached to the people around you. So Joe is right that community and connections are important, but where I feel like he's wrong is in telling people that their sense of purpose is not enough, that that's not enough to help them with happiness, I think he's actually wrong. In my opinion, when you go after something that's very purposeful for you, especially something where you enjoy the process and not necessarily the destination of the product, and you are very authentic and intentional about doing that, that's actually what leads to community and connections. I don't think you should necessarily go and find community and connections outside of a sense of purpose. In fact, I think the deepest types of community we form are usually surrounding something that's very purposeful for us. For me, for instance, that's writing. So I have lots of author friends or it's podcasting. So I have lots of podcaster friends or it's personal finance, something that's very purposeful for me. And so I have a lot of personal finance friends. If I loved running, I would join jogging groups and then I would have lots of jogger friends. And if I wanted to learn a new language every two years, I would probably hang out with people who like language and like travel and would form a community where we taught each other, we mentored each other, and we learned from each other. And that would be that community and connection. So I misspoke. Joe isn't wrong, but I think he's misdirected. I think the idea is that we should be searching for purpose first, the kind of purpose that fills us up. And I think a happy side effect is community and connections. In other words, if you do purpose right, the rest will follow. So I think the advice he gave to the person whose article we were reading was wrong. I don't think that pursuing their sense of purpose with languages is wrong, nor even short-sighted. I think they should continue doing that, and I believe that will create the type of community and connections that the Harvard study showed were so beneficial. This is just one man's take. I'm wondering what you all think. All right, as you guys know, I leave things running just for a few minutes to catch our chatter afterwards as the after show. You know, as you're talking about that, have you? do you guys know Jillian Johnsrud? We don't know her personally, but we do listen to her podcasts. Yeah, I'm okay. 
Ad tweeted her a few times because just we talk about a lot of different things that she talks yeah. about. Well, I was and about we to like say, she mm-hmm. has she so her newer podcast is about mini retirements. And I think you guys would be really good for it. Like what you've done kind of with yourselves in your career. Um, and Sammy specifically, you're taking sabbatical now. Um, you should contact. She would be a good good contact for you guys. And you should be on her podcast. And I can I can introduce you through email. But um, you talk about yeah. similar things, I think, in, in some ways. And you, what you're going through now is something she's thought very deeply about. Yeah, I heard about the mini retirement podcast. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's literally so similar to our space so that we love that Mm -hmm. we 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 think it's really cool i think not enough people even like talk about it or like sort of help people figure out how to get there and move through that experience and so i think it's really cool that she has a podcast that's like focused on it now yeah and, and the issue of when you're doing that how to maintain friendships and community what we talked about today is just so big i mean that's radically changed my life, my better understanding of what it likes looks like to be a better friend and a community mm. member. Like I just I couldn't I had I had lost almost all sense of community until I, I started doing a lot of the things I'm doing now. And it's radically improved my life. And I can't imagine, you know, not coming to some of this these conclusions. Um, but a lot of what I had to do is a lot of the things you're talking about one way or another. Yeah, I think about it, too, because I was debating, you know, working for two more years, I'd be much more, if not fire, closer to fire. And now that I've taken time off, I'm like, I'm so glad I did not wait. Because number one reason is because of these relationships, because it does take effort to make a relationship and continue to build a relationship it's so funny because we think about our jobs and being better at our jobs and the effort that we put into that but relationships require that same kind of effort like deliberate effort showing people that you care about them following up with them making an effort to call them because before when i was working Literally, my friends were whoever is the most aggressive at trying to reach me. And that's not fair. That's not friendship. And taking this time off really makes me appreciate that. Had I waited, it would have just been worse. I would have been even deeper into the, you know, I would have been one of these loneliness epidemic people because I'm not making an effort to continue my relationships. And I think when you marry that, that intentionality with pursuing something that you enjoy that's purposeful to you. Like you then are very open to building and making a community, right? So you guys are also very much on your own personal journey of purpose and to find out what you want to do with yourselves and what's meaningful. And by pursuing some of those things that are very, in a sense, self-centered, like this is something of interest to me, this is going to fill me up. Interestingly enough, you then take some of these techniques you're talking about and you build these communities around things you love. And I think that's very purpose-driven. And I think those communities you end up forming tend to be very strong because people end up seeing you and you're doing something that lights you up and you are naturally draw people in when you're involved in something that lights you up. And so for instance, Michelle, I think probably you found this with your writing community, right? So Mm -hmm. the, the community you're probably building or have built around you based on writing is people who are seeing you do something that deeply fulfills you. And so that's going to naturally draw other people to you. Yeah, that's a really interesting point because even something like this podcast, you know, we've been doing our podcast for three years and it's so interesting to see how much credibility it gives us in the thing that we're interested in, if that makes sense. Like this idea that when we meet somebody, if we say like, hey, we're interested in, you know, personal development, or we're interested in personal finance, or we're interested in creating things and making a podcast. A lot of times they're like, okay, cool, that's pretty interesting. And maybe they'll look it up and they'll say, oh, wait, sorry, you have like 142 episodes of your podcast. This is, you're in this. And that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's not so much about that people want to be like impressed by you. It's just sort of this idea that if they're also interested in that, you become a lighthouse for these people and you become a lighthouse yes. for people who are interested in the same things. And so you I can think that's help them and they can help you. And that's where the bonds okay. really starts like, right. Because then, right. There's mentor mentee relationships. And then you meet people mm-hmm. who are at the same place as you and you, there's those type of really and peer relationships. And like all of a sudden you've kind of, you're building 
Yeah. And then all of a sudden people are like, oh, you need to go talk to Sammy and Michelle because they're experts. And it's just what I do with Jillian, right? It's like, yeah. oh, mm-hmm. you need to talk to Jillian. And then all of a sudden you talk to Jillian, maybe you're on her show. Maybe you guys become part of a broader community. And that's, that's the idea. I mean, at least for me, like that's been really important for me in my life. So. Yeah. A hundred percent. And then if it is, I think to your point too, like if it's something that you're interested in, you'll be able to maintain that long-term because mm-hmm. like when you're building community you do sort of have to put yourself out there more you have to be a little bit more extroverted you have to go to more things that maybe you're you know you don't always want to do when you're tired but if you if it's around things that you like then you can go and your cup is filled because you can nerd out on that thing that you're really excited about like one of our friends refurnishes furniture and she has a group of people that yeah. that's what they talk about and i don't know anything about like varnishes or brushes mm-hmm. but like those are the things that they can get excited about together yeah yeah want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money well i've got the podcast for you i'm sean piles and i host nerd wallets smart money podcast Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.